0: You're listening to the Bethel Community Church Podcast. Our podcast normally showcases our weekly sermons here in Chicago at 7601 West Foster. Now, podcasts are great, but they do not replace the care and community you receive from the local church or from your local pastor. So we encourage you to come join our community or contact us to help you find a community in your area. We pray the Lord speaks to you as you listen. Enjoy. 10 out of 10 excited about this passage. My voice will not tell you that at any point today, but I, yeah, sure. Okay. I was just saying, I'm 10 out of 10 excited for this passage today. My voice will not tell you that at any point this morning, but the passage will. The passage will speak today as we are in a series called Following And as we're looking at uh, Jesus and his call to his disciples to follow him, and then he shows them what that looks like, and he shows them what that means. And as we see that, and as we see his example, we are challenged in our following of Jesus. Does it represent what Jesus had in mind? Does it represent what he demonstrated, what he taught, what he lived This morning, we pick up right after Simon, James, and John left everything at the side of the Sea of Galilee. They leave their fish, their nets, their business to follow Jesus, and they start traveling around the region of Galilee, small town after small coastline town, watching Jesus teach and perform miracles. They had a front row to everything that Jesus was doing, and it's while they're in one of those cities that we pick up the very next verse, verse 12. They're in one of the cities, and they come into contact with a man with leprosy. Now, leprosy, uh, that's a skin disease that you didn't want any part of back in those days. It was repulsive to look at. It was painful to have. It was feared in those days. It usually started with a small patch of of maybe discolored skin, and it would start to spread across your body. Sometimes it would develop spongy-like tumors on your face. You could lose your eyebrows from it. I was reading this week, which is random. And as it spread on the skin, it would also affect the internal organs and the nervous system. Oftentimes, nerve endings would deteriorate and disappear no longer respond to any sort of feeling of touch. This disease played the long game, years upon years of this sort of existence and living until you died from it. And in those days, they handled this sort of disease with one way, isolation, removal, outcast. Pushed outside the city limits to be a social outcast, hopeless, that you could return back with your people, with your family. It was believed that this skin disease was a curse, a curse on your life that was a result, oftentimes, they thought, of deep, deep sin, deep, deep sin in your life. So as tragic as it was, they were outcast and cursed with such a physically painful existence, but also marred by the view and judgment of other people that their sin was the thing that did that to them. So imagine Jesus in a crowded street and a man with leprosy walking through that crowded street. Listen, y'all, I had pink eye this week. I say that and some of you are nervous to sit 20 feet from me right now. I had pink eye this week and you see people when you have pink eye and people just want to separate themselves. This man had leprosy. And he's making his way through the crowd. People would have known and seen that he had leprosy. You keep your space from someone like that. The thought of catching it. The thought of being an outcast like he is. He doesn't belong here. What is he doing here? Get back to isolation where you belong. And yet, here he is. In a crowded street making his way to Jesus. And in Luke 5:12 it's the moment where the man with leprosy finds Jesus and it says that he fell on his face and he begged Jesus to heal him. He says, "Lord, if you will, you can make me clean." He was desperate enough to leave isolation and any punishment that he could have faced. Desperate enough to make his way through the crowd. Desperate enough to fall on his face and make a show of himself in front of Jesus. Risk of the ridicule and the judgment of people around him that such a sinner would make his way into the presence of Jesus. Desperate enough for all of that. And he says, if you will, make me clean. Here's the thing. He knows Jesus can do it. He's not saying, if you can He's saying, if you will. He knows the power of Jesus. He knows the authority that he has. He believes that Jesus can do it, but will he do it? All eyes are locked in. Now, it's one thing that for Jesus to heal Simon's mother-in-law with a high fever. But what about a man with leprosy? He has every right to do to this man what society has already done. Ignore him. Push him off to the side. Let him be the outcast. Dismiss this man who's on his face in front of you. And yet, verse 13, it says that Jesus stretched out his hand and he touched him. And as he does, he says this. Remember Dialogue is vitally important in these passages. And he says this, I will be clean. And immediately something happens. It says immediately the leprosy left him. Now listen, that is a miracle. You could read about cleansing and, and healings and, and, and them trying to go through the process of being cleansed in the temple. And it's a week-long weeks-long process that they would go through. And here, in a moment, it clears up, and everyone can see it in that moment. I think it's awesome, because he could have commanded it out like he did the demons, chapter 4. He could have willed it to happen like the fish into the nets, but hear me on this, hear me on this, hear me on this. Jesus touched him, the unclean man, The man with leprosy. The man everyone else was to avoid. The fact that Jesus touched him is significant. It was an act that was ritually prohibited. For it made the person unclean that touched him. To come into contact with him would make himself unclean. And yet as Jesus touches him. He cleans that man and he makes him clean. Jesus does not become unclean by the diseased outcast. Jesus actually makes the unclean something that is purified and clean. You see the power. You see the authority that is there. You see what he's doing. And it's as he does this, as he reaches over and as he touches him, he doesn't separate himself. He goes to him. He doesn't command it, he touches him. He wills it and he cleanses him in a way that no one else had seen before. And as he does that, he says this, go show yourself to the priest. Make an offering for your cleansing as Moses commanded for a proof to them. What's he talking about? Jesus is referencing Leviticus 14. You could go back and you could read that chapter today. And it's talking about if someone had leprosy, how they would go to the temple and look to be cleansed. And this whole weeks long process that they would have to do just to be able to get to the point to offer a sacrifice. Which for them was vitally important, yeah? And here what Jesus tells him is go to the priest And make an offering. There's no process for you to be cleansed because I've already done it. Jesus has already done it. Go show them. Verify it with them. It says for proof to them. So here's what's going to happen. This guy's going to walk in. He's going to show that he's been cleansed. And he's going to be able to make an offering. That which he was not able to do before because of his leprosy. Why? Because Jesus had done the process of purification. Jesus had taken the one that was an outcast. And he had shown his power to cleanse him. Jesus tells the man to follow what's laid out in the law. And it will be proven that he's clean and his life will be restored. He will not be an outcast. He will be able to make offerings in the temple once again. So here's what we see from these verses, from this story. Jesus received the social outcast. The dirty and the dangerous and the diseased. The unsanitary sinner. And he touched him and he made him clean you see how he doesn't make space away, but he goes to him? It says the report of Jesus spread in the region. That would spread, wouldn't it? When you see something like that with your eyes. Y'all would get excited if Jesus came out and healed my voice and I was able to talk normal right now. That would excite you. This man had leprosy. Imagine the word going out. This sort of stuff doesn't just happen. People are talking. People are talking about how he touched a leprous man. We saw it. Who does that? How did he do it? It says huge crowds continue to gather, and Jesus goes off to a desolate place to pray. Here's what I love about this, and we don't have time to spend on it. Good things, ministry things, kingdom things are not such a priority to avoid time with the Father. Jesus could have kept serving, but he retrieves back to a place to pray with God. And the narrative continues in verse seven. Now, here's what I want to say before we keep going. I said this last week. Sometimes the italics headlines get in the way of what the story is saying for the whole thing. These three stories belong together. And it's easy just to be like, oh, cool, leprous man. What do we get from that? Take what we saw there of Jesus receiving the social outcast, the dirty, the dangerous, and diseased, unsanitary sinner, touching him and making him clean, and carry that into what happens next. I need some more tea. You guys with me? Please stick with me. It builds and it gets better and better. Verse 17 zooms in. It's the same part of the narrative. You see it there. It says on one of those days, which means it's still part of what happened before. They're still in the region. They're still watching Jesus in Galilee do all of these things. And he's in Jerusalem And it says that people came from every village, Galilee, Judea, and even from Jerusalem to hear Jesus speak. There's real excitement here. But there's also really important air quotes on that, people who are here. We get a little zoom in on some of the audience that is here with Jesus Uh, for this. It says the Pharisees, the teachers of the law were sitting there. Who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. The religious elite not the outcasts, the important people. Hear me on this with a little bit of sarcasm, the clean people. They're all there to take in who Jesus is and what he's saying, and their motives aren't great for this. They've heard what Jesus is saying, and honestly, it's going against some of who they are and what they've been saying. The Pharisees, they've put themselves on such a level that they think that they can add to the law. They think that they're the perfect representation of law. They demonstrate it in flashy ways in the streets. Everyone hear our prayers, know how much we know, see what we can do. If there was someone that was seen as spiritually clean, it was these people who are here in Jesus' presence for what's going to happen. What we have here It's the people who are most knowledgeable about God. The people who, from the outward appearance, are capable, religious, and clean. (coughs) Verse 18 gives a little bit of context of what's happening. They're all in this room, crowded in, and verse 18 says, Behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed, and they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. Jesus. Now we have a paralyzed man. In those days, there was less of an understanding of what led to paralysis. But these people were seen as incapable. They were seen as less. And sadly, sadly, some of their condition was blamed on the assumed sin that they carried in. So hear me on this. People see a man paralyzed and what they think is sinner. What they think is sinner not important helpless no use to society and that's what they were often ostracized and here they are taking him in to bring him this outcast this lowly sinner and helpless the comparison here is too great to miss between him this helpless man on a lap on a mat And the religious elite sitting in a place of prominence inside the house. And the text says that the friends begin bringing the paralyzed man into the house. They can't get in though. The door frames are stocked full of people. There's no more room to get inside. And so they've worked their way up to the roof of the house. In those days, there was a stairwell, oftentimes for houses that would lead up to the top. And so there they go up to the top of the house. He's not capable of walking in. He's not important enough to get in. And yet, his friends start peeling back the tiles of the roof to lower him in. And they lower him in just there in front of Jesus. Someone there could possibly think, well, who is this guy to cut in front of the line to get in? The religious elite thinking, this guy is not important enough to be here. Someone I'm willing to bet is like, who's going to fix my roof? And he's brought in front of Jesus in verse 20. Look at it. Jesus saw their faith. It's the kind of faith that steps in and says, hey, if you're willing, would you heal me? Not can you. But if you're willing and they see the faith, the desperation of this person to do anything he can just to be lowered and put in front of Jesus. He sees their faith and look at what he says to him. He says, man, your sins are forgiven. Man, your sins are forgiven you. Wait, hold up. I thought this man couldn't walk. Why is Jesus skipping ahead to the sins of this man when the needs of this man seem pretty evident and obvious, don't they? Jesus goes right for the heart, even though what everyone's expecting as he's being lowered through the roof. Was it to be forgiven of sin or was it so that he could walk? It was so that he could walk. Well, the Pharisees hear this and they lose their minds. And they say to him, Who is this man that speaks blasphemy? Now, here's the thing. We don't speak that word very much, blasphemy, but that's a pretty heavy-handed word there. To speak blasphemy would be speaking something contrary to the truth that they would have taught. They're the experts of the law. They're the ones that say what's right and good. And here it is said, Who is this man to speak blasphemy? The punishment for blasphemy is to be stoned. Man, things just got heavy in this room. This is really serious what is happening here. Who speaks this? Now, we don't use this lightly at all, and the tension is building. They should be upset because in their mind, only one person can heal sins, and that's God alone, and they even say that. Who is this that speaks blasphemies? And of verse 21, who can forgive sins but God alone? That's the question, right? Why would this man say that he could forgive sins? The Pharisees think that they're representing God. They think that Jesus is speaking falsehood about sin and improperly putting himself in that position. There's a room full of people watching the religious elite combat Jesus in this lowly man on a mat. And here's the thing when the religious elite start combating, they don't lose. They win these battles. The people get stoned. So I'm imagining these people who have followed Jesus and watched him do all these things. It's like, man, this is the end of the road. Here it is. Man, they got the Pharisees from all over the region here. They about to stone this man. Room full of people. But you know what I wonder? I wonder what the man on the bed is thinking. Man, Jesus, couldn't you just like heal me first and then pick this fight? (laughs) Okay, so like, are you gonna heal me or like what? Meanwhile, the argument is happening. Verse 22 says Jesus perceives their thoughts of the Pharisees and look at verse 23. He says this, Jesus, which is easier to say your sins are forgiven you, or to say, rise and walk, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the man who is paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And immediately he rose up from before them and picked up what had been laying what he had been lying on and he went home glorifying God and the amazement seized them all and they all glorified God and were filled with awe saying, we have seen extraordinary things today. He says this, so that you know that I have the authority to forgive sins, I'm going to heal him. What's easier to say? Well, of course, it's easier for him to say your sins are forgiven because no one actually knows if that happened or not. It's in the heart. You wouldn't know. It's not external. And so here he says the easier thing in some ways. Hey, you're forgiven. And people are like, who are you to say that? And he goes, whoa, 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 whoa. To show you that I have the authority. I could have healed him. I could have said that. So I will say that. And I will heal him. And as he gets up and walks, it's confirmation of the first thing that I said. It's confirmation of the first thing that Jesus said which was to heal him of his sin. Hear me on this. The healing validates the forgiveness of sin. What they see with their eyes when he stands up and walks. What that man feels in the strength of his legs as he stands up and uses them is representing the work that Jesus has done in his heart to forgive him. And verse 26 says, man, people are just amazed. Glorifying God. What they saw was more than what you read with your kids and and the Jesus storybook Bible and the pictures. And and it is not just about a man coming through the roof here. We need to eliminate those pictures in our mind. Jesus, Jesus received a social outcast. That's what's happening here. He helped the helpless handicapped man, the sinner, and he forgave him and made him clean. Sometimes we simplify. Jesus Storybook Bible, I love it. Listen, they get to the point of the passage, all that stuff. What I'm saying with that is this. Sometimes we simplify this to cartoon drawings, And we simplify it to to a cliche of just, oh, he healed the man. He did heal the man. But what's happening as he heals him? He makes him clean of his sin. The person who was the outcast and rejected and seen as a sinner in society. So what have we seen twice here now after story two? What we've seen is this back to back stories of the sinner being welcomed by Jesus, touched by Jesus, cleansed by Jesus, forgiven by Jesus. But we aren't done. He goes on for the 3 Pete. You know, I love a good 3 Pete. Verse 27 says this, after this, he went out. After this, he went out. Come on, we gotta see this. It's a story that Luke is writing here. This is, if you're watching a movie, it's one continuous shot. The scene doesn't break. He leaves this room in absolute pandemonium here going on. This man is walking. He's ready to go home. He receives him. The roof, there still is a hole in it. They don't know what's gonna go on with that. The Pharisees are arguing. They're like, what do we do? This man just blasphemed." He goes from there, and it's as he's on his way out, it says he sees a tax collector named Levi. In those days, tax collector, let's talk about a tax collector for a second. Often a wealthy man who is paid for the privilege of being allowed to collect taxes from other people. They were representatives of the Roman government who would charge taxes for all sorts of varied random reasons. Can you all relate? Like, really, can you all relate? They would often overcharge, tax collectors would, they would overcharge. So they're responsible for collecting this amount. They would go to the people, they would overcharge on them, and they would pocket the extra money common person could not speak out against these people because they just had to pay the tax. These people were too powerful. There's nothing you could do. So here's what you have. You have a Jewish man, Levi, who's betrayed his people as a traitor to collect taxes based on what the Roman people who are pressing over and ruling over the Jewish people in their land. He's a representative of those people overcharging. What do you think? People like him? Yes or no? No. Actually, in, in rabbinic texts, if you look at it, they're oftentimes compared to robbers and at the same social scale and seen and the same distaste and distrust as them. They're dishonest people. You know what else they are? They're religious and social outcast People didn't like them. Actually, people hated them. Everything that they stood for, they hated it. So, back to the story. As Jesus is leaving the scene in one home, he sees a tax collector named Levi. Now, do not miss the detail at the end of verse 7. Levi, what is Levi doing? What? He is. He's in the booth, which means this. He's in the actual act of the very thing that was disdain and distrust and everything that people hated about him. He's literally doing it. It's in the moment. It's not like you get to know someone out here and then you're like, oh, you're a tax collector. Awkward. I'm not texting you back. Like he knows who this person is. He's literally in the act of it. Where most Jews would have avoided him And everything that this person stands for, where most would have not wanted to even go close because they wouldn't have been wanted to tax more or be in a conversation or to even be associated with him, what does Jesus do? What does he do? He goes to him. He goes to him, and what he says there is so powerful. It's short, and it's simple, and he says, follow me. Familiar? Verse 28 says that Levi left everything and he followed him. Familiar? In the same chapter that Simon, James, and John did the same thing and left everything. Here's Simon. Here's Levi that leaves everything. I want to pause for a second here. Jesus spoke to the man. Jesus met the man right where he was at. He met Levi right where he's at. And he calls him to follow him, this hated tax collector, to come into close proximity with Jesus. He's a social outcast. He's a sinner. He's wronged so many people. You could think, hey, Jesus, go get a respectable, decent, upstanding person to follow you. Jesus, why don't you go talk to the religious elite, someone who looks a little bit more presentable, who looks a little bit cleaner, who has a lot less baggage, who's a little bit less hated maybe in society. Hey, why don't you go get someone who's a little bit less air quotes here of a sinner? But Jesus goes right to him. So here they go, Jesus and this hated sinner following him, and they go to his house. And it says that Levi makes a great feast. Now, the Greek word, looking at it a little bit this week, had some fun with that. The word means banquet. The word means banquet. Banquet. It's an elaborate meal. It's a celebratory meal. It's a party that he's having, and Jesus is the guest of honor. And verse 29 gives us some more details about this guest list. It's a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at the table. Can you picture it? Basically, what I just described is a whole bunch of people that the world has already written off. Is so far from God. Hear me on this. Written them off as so dirty. As so wrong. As such an outcast. Don't even talk to them, don't even go to them. And here Jesus is eating a meal, reclining at a table with them. Jesus is with some of the most hated people in society. Some of the most unrighteous people, traitors, dishonest, evil people. And there he is at a party with all of them. Where most people would avoid them and push them away, Jesus goes to them. The story backs away from what is happening to the Pharisees and to the scribes. And verse 30 says that they're grumbling. Again, they have an issue with what Jesus is doing. And, and and we should connect what their issue is here in verse 30 with what their issue was before. Listen to it here. They look at it and they say, Why do you eat with and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Who are you to be doing this? Why are you associating? Why are you doing this? Don't you know how this makes you look? Don't you know what this says about you? Don't you know who these people are? Are you condoning this sort of behavior? That's all the religious elite can see. Sinners. The character of Jesus comes into question because of these people that he's sitting around the table with. Jesus has been accused of blasphemy and now is accused of wrongdoing. Because Jesus is doing something that none of them would do. That's why they see it as wrong. None of them would spend time with a sinner like that that was seen as wrong. Jesus, what he's done here is received the social outcast, the hated traitor, the sinner, and he's called that person to follow him. And then Jesus responds. And once again, the dialogue is going to point us to the meaning of the entire sermon today. So look at it in verse 31. Jesus answered them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, I have not come to call the righteous, but the sinners to repentance. (sighs) I used to think that that was a little weird that Jesus said that and a little offensive because I'm like, man, he's kind of calling these people sick. But what's cool Jesus, when he's saying this, and Luke does it intentionally, he's bringing into focus all three of the stories. Because it was the sick, wasn't it? It was the leprous man. And it was the paralyzed man, right? He was sick. And now Jesus brings all three of those stories into focus with one line here. And he says, it's the sick. It's why I came. It was the sick that were desperate enough. It was the sick that was falling on their face. It was the sick who were being lowered through the roof. And Jesus healed them. But those stories were not about leprosy. It was not about a man standing up and being able to walk. It was about a man being cleansed. It was about a man being forgiven. It was about the heart. And Jesus connects the sick and what he did there, being healed and the cleansing that they both received to the tax collector, Levi, The man with leprosy was cleansed and told to go make a sacrifice. The paralytic was healed and forgiven for all the sin on the spot. And now Levi is not physically sick, but he shares with the others the same condition that he was really dealing with with them all along. And it was their sin. He shares Levi does the same persona of an outcast that no one wanted to deal with, the too dirty that no one wanted to handle, the outcast and the ones too far from God that they wouldn't ever be able to. That's what Jesus is getting at here and saying, This is why I came. He came for the sick, but it was never about the physical sickness. It's about the restoration of the heart, the reconciliation to God. He came to call the sinner to him, and he shows it in these three stories. The sinners he comes for are the ones that people call sick and just push off to the side. He comes for the ones that people have avoided and saying they're too far gone. He comes for the outcast that no one wants to deal with. He comes for the hated for the ones who've done things in their life that they don't deserve good his grace is sufficient even there for them he comes for the ones who are avoided and the ones who are helpless they are too not they are not too far from the gospel they are The exact people that Jesus touches. They're the exact people that he commands to get up and walk and be forgiven. And they're the exact people that he sits down and has a meal and says, follow me. Listen to the words of Jesus in this passage from each of the stories. Verse 13, he says, be clean. Verse 20, he says, your sins are forgiven. Verse 27, he says, follow me. That's what this is about. That's what's happening here. Jesus hits the physicians three-peat. Do you see it? The religious folk wouldn't say, they would say, don't touch the saint." Lepreous man. They would say, don't bother with the paralytic. We're here in the important seats. They would say, don't eat with the sinners. And yet, three for three, that's where Jesus is. And that's what Jesus is doing. Healing, forgiving, and calling them to a life of faith and following. Isn't it so awesome? A couple things for us to consider on our way out of here. Number one. Are there people in your mind that seem too far from God? I'm putting air quotes around this, all over this. Too dirty. Too much of an outcast. Their sin is too far and too deep, and they've rebelled too far that they could never. Let me tell you something. Jesus asked Levi to follow him while he's in the booth. He goes to him, right? Levi gets a name change from Jesus. Jesus. That name change might be more recognizable to all of us. It's Matthew. Here's why I say that. It worked out pretty, pretty okay, right? One of the 12 following Jesus, that's the kind of power that Jesus does. What should that tell us about our calling and seeking of people to follow Jesus in this society that we're like, man, they would have no interest. They're like, they're like, They're like willingly acting out their sin right now. Why why would they want any bit of this? Yet he goes to the booth. We write people off. I do. And I'm saying to my own heart, I'm saying to all of us, it's so far from the gospel because it's so far from who Jesus is and what he did when he came here. No one is too far gone. We miss the power of the gospel. When we say that and we smell of pride that we think somehow our sin is less damning. Is there anyone? If there is anyone, anyone in society that seems too far from God, we are reminded today that Jesus, the physician, man, he pulled off the three-peat. He's able to heal even the most debilitating of diseases and sicknesses, sin itself. Second thing here, personally, I'm asking you. As we look at Jesus in the following, I'm asking you this. Is our following of Jesus marked by proximity and pursuit of the religious and social outcasts? It's one thing to say it's a good idea and like, yeah, we should do that. But I'm asking you if your life is marked by that. If Jesus were alive today, are there people that he would associate with that you would be like, seriously, Jesus, them? Do you know what they did? Do you know what they said? Would we question him? Are there people that if someone from our church was hanging out with and had close proximity with, that we'd be quicker to judge them and ask why they're with that person? I was talking to a friend of mine today, not today. Um, I was talking to a friend of mine this week, and I, and I asked her, um, you know, what, what would you say would be the tax collector of 2023, okay? Because 2023, like, we don't hate tax collectors. I mean, we don't like taxes, but there ain't anybody sitting on, in a booth on the street, you know, and if they did, good luck. You know what I'm saying? But we don't have a physical person. Like, who would the tax collectors be of 2023? And I waited a little bit for the tax back. Here's her list that she sent me. Gang members. Man, why are you spending time with them? They're too far. You're going to go eat with them? That seems dangerous. You're going to go to their turf? You're going to go to their neighborhood? You're going to... Her text. Someone who is trans... Well, maybe if if they understand and they come to us, you know. Like I'm not gonna necessarily go to them, but if they could, air quotes all over this, clean up a little bit and be more acceptable. Her text: Someone who's living an LGBT lifestyle. Would we go there, to them? Prostitutes. Gets edgier. Um, her text continue. I'm, I'm just reading her text here. Someone who's pro choice. Yeah, but do you know what they stand for? I, I do. Someone from a different religion. Really good insights from that person, I think, and, and it's uncomfortable to sit in. But here's the question I guess. Is our following marked by the kind of following we seek to Jesus to go to them? Knowing that we have something to offer them and to love them in their place. And listen, I'm not talking about approval of their decisions. Jesus wasn't like, ah, tax collector, you're all right. Why don't you follow me? Keep doing what you're doing. He meets them where he's at. And there's grace and there's truth and there's love all working together in a way that is really inspiring and challenging to us. I think we struggle to associate with people with different beliefs or different political affiliations or or, or, or a background that we're not comfortable with. Jesus touched him before he was clean. Jesus forgave him on the spot. While he was still helpless in his bed, Jesus met him at the tax booth and he ate dinner with him and all of his like-minded friends. Are we doing this? I'm saying this, knowing the power of the gospel and seeing the way that my Jesus walked into these situations and navigated it. And he says, that's why I came. And so I say to us, church, it's why we're here. We have something to offer. I'm not talking about condoning behavior or action. I'm not saying any of that. Jesus wasn't doing that, and you can see that clearly in the text. Is our following marked by the same sort of proximity and presence with those in society or those within our faith that we've deemed off-limits too far gone, outcasts. Have we written them off? Have we believed at some point that we're supposed to keep our distance like it's us versus them in a way that does not sound gospel at all? Have we believed that they should come here to us in our building when Jesus went to them? I do worry sometimes about the us versus them mentality that honestly is just perpetuated by our culture. We don't need that. We're not that. Man, firmly rooted in truth of who I know God is and how he's called me to live and free to give love and express it out to everyone who needs to hear it, to show in word and action. What I hope for is people glorifying God because of it, just like they did in the story. People who are cleansed, people who are forgiven, people who are following. You want to follow Jesus? Good, I'm glad. Go and be a physician to the sick. Find those in deep sin and invite them to forgiveness through Jesus. Let's pray. God, we ask for your help in this. Give us wisdom. May we represent something that is just so otherworldly in this world, God. Allow us the opportunity to love well in these ways. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.